You're listening to Adapt and Thrive, a survival guide for the modern marketer with hosts Tom and Kate. Tom Gallego, author and creative director of award-winning digital agency L7 Creative, and Kate Hauser, his incredibly witty, social media-obsessed millennial co-host also of L7 Creative. Join Tom and Kate every other week as they discuss and debate topics around how modern marketers can thrive in the ever-changing and often intimidating landscape of digital marketing. Your survival guide begins now. Welcome back to Adapt and Thrive, a survival guide for the modern marketer. I am Kate Hauser. And I'm Tom Gallego. And today we are so excited because we have our second guest on the show, which we will intro in just a moment. And today we're going to be talking about all things startups, marketing startups, mistakes that startups make in their marketing and how you can avoid them if you are at a startup. And I'm excited. How are you feeling, Tom? Excellent. I'm feeling great. And you know what? There's so many startups today. So this is hopefully... This will be really helpful. Yes, I'm super excited. Some of I'm these, feeling uh, great too. Serial entrepreneurs out there, right? I know. Yeah, I'm excited. I feel good. I know you feel good because I saw you drinking a kombucha with CBD in it earlier today. <laughs> so, <laughs> Wait, that is that legal? I can imagine it is legal. <laughs> yes, um, one of our clients, our one of our awesome clients, Cannabooch, that has really good um, kombucha with CBD in it. And I saw Tom sneaking one out of the fridge in the office earlier, but we're all hmm. feeling very relaxed today. I'm very excited. Well, we will jump right into it. Um, so today we are joined by Patrick Mahaffey. Patrick is an all-around badass with an impressive resume of professional and personal achievements. As a member of SEAL Team One, Patrick learned the paramount importance of working with high-performing teams that share a common goal. Since leaving military service, he has focused his career on building teams for an impressive roster of startups in the business and tech sector. Mindbox, Room 5, Siklum, and True North just to name a few, but we are definitely being modest. His current, he currently serves as managing director for Valence Resource Group, a Bay Area-based consultancy where he fuels his obsession with building powerful companies by implementing incredibly targeted sales and marketing strategies, and of course, a little sweat and passion. Patrick, thank you for being with us today. Oh, I'm excited to be here, and thanks for that introduction, Kate. Of course. Yes. We are excited to talk about all of the mistakes that some of the, maybe some of the startups that you've been at or your friends have been at. I'm sure you've been, at, I know you've been at some very successful startups as well, but we're excited to dive into that. Yeah. Have you ever been referred to Patrick in the past as an all around badass quote unquote? Oh, Tom, I'm so sick of being referred to that way. <laughs> I, I told Kate, Kate, no, uh, yet, you know, uh, not that often, Tom. It's not something that I'm that comfortable with either, but but no, but thank you for that description. Of course. I picture, like, I know you're like a badass based on your LinkedIn that I saw, all of your background, but then I heard you were on SEAL Team One, and I was like, oh my gosh, those are like people that like jump in the ocean and like, I I couldn't even like pass the swim test to be on the SEAL team, let, yet alone all the other stuff that you guys have to do. So, so, so in millennial parlance, that that's a huge, huge compliment, Patrick. Oh, so, excellent. So, so be comfortable with it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Millennial well, and, and thank you so much for that. Yes. Yeah. We're really excited. So I know that we, obviously we always refer back to Tom's book, the adapt and thrive um, adapt or die book that he wrote. And the first chapter is actually all about, um, knowing your audience, knowing yourself as a business and some mistakes that marketers can make at the beginning of a startup. So, um, I'm curious, Patrick, what would you say is like the number one mistake that a startup makes with their marketing? 
So I think, um, Kate, you know, there's, again, there's so many mistakes you make as a startup and I've, I've probably made them all, but one of the uh, major mistakes is to, you know, you've had a great cool idea, you've got a good team of people, um, you know, you're, you're ready to go, you're excited to go, and you really want to build it and then get it out there to market. And, and, you know, most startups don't spend a lot of time thinking about brand and what brand means and what is brand and why is it important. And I certainly know I didn't, unless you're at a startup that happens to be started by a seasoned uh, marketing professional. And, and, you know, frankly, at least, you know, the ones I've been at, most of them aren't, right? That's somebody we have to bring in later. You know, what's a clear articulation of who you are and why anybody should care, right, <laughs> about who you are. I've built products that were incredible market-leading products with teams of literal rocket scientists and then found out that, you know, we didn't bother to think about things like, who is our customer? <laughs> you know, who are we to the customer? You know what I mean? Why? Who, who is it that should care about this product? Thinking about brand and developing that brand blueprint in the very beginning is really saves you a lot of heartache and potential going down the wrong path and having to back up. And I think very few startups do it. I, I really, I, I can't think of one who started that way, right? I really can't. And so I think that's a very common mistake. You know, the, it's almost like, you know, what you're, what you're uh, defining here is, is that the startup should really um, develop the brand platform first and, and almost let that, uh, and we talked a little bit about this in our last uh, podcast, but almost let the brand um, and the brand strategy drive product innovation or service offering, things like that. And, and the one, and I don't, have I talked about Nest before? No. The, no. Uh, so everybody knows, does everybody know what Nest is? The Nest brand, the Nest. Sure. Is it like a, elect, is that like an Alexa? It's in your no, house? It's the doorbell thing? It's the, it's, well, it is a doorbell now. They, they've expanded their, their, uh, their product offering, but, but, but if, great, great story. Um, we've probably all been to CES, Consumer Electronics Show. And so this, the story goes that this uh, Nest designer, the designer of the thermostat Nest, it's very expensive and very cool looking and, a lot of people own them today. Um, really, just had a prototype at the time, and they had this great idea of before they they were acquired by Google for billions. And I don't oh. think they ever sold a, a a unit before this, right? So think about this, you know. So so he, uh, the CEO or the marketing team, I think it was the the, the agency. Uh, said, well, what's the major issue with CES? And that's like getting point from point A to B because it's literally a madhouse. Takes over the entire town of Vegas, right? And Patrick, have you been to you've been to CES, right? I, I've been to CES with you, Tom. <laughs> well, of course you have, right. He doesn't remember. It was, <laughs> it was Vegas. He doesn't remember. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I guess what happens in Vegas, right? Stay Sorry Vegas. about that. I, I have, the I have not bag. been to CES. I've actually never heard of CES until this moment, but sounds cool. Oh wow! Okay. All sorts of gadgets and stuff. Like oh, yeah. Well, but, but now it's more than gadgets. It, yeah. It, it, so it's now like it's it's really that. AI and it's mm. it's uh, that's cool. Yeah, it's just data and it's just crazy stuff, right? Wow. So he says, okay, well, 
I'm going to get this this uh, vintage 1940s something uh, fire engine, fire truck, and I'm going to customize it and make these this these big bench seats in the back, and I'm going to paint it this really beautiful nest blue, uh, you know, sky blue. It was the nest colors. Put the nest logo all over it, and I'm going to hand out T-shirts in this thing, and it's all seat belted in, and you know. And I'm going to roll up at the end of the show where these thousands of people are just trying to get from point A to B. And I'm going to pick up as many as I can, and I'm going to shuttle them all over Vegas. And while I'm shuttling them, I've got this this product display, you know, uh, personality telling everybody about the product during the ride. And for the most part, it was the first time anybody had ever heard of Nest. And this was such a cool concept that um, that the people really uh, tuned into this, you know, this wireless Internet of Things right at the cusp of Internet of Things uh, device. It was so beautifully designed and, and, and so elegant, uh, you know, in its in its operation, and and it really became the catalyst for. Uh, them to be acquired by Google and to develop into the Nest brand. And today you can go and see all the great products they have. But but literally the brand kind of was driving everything, right? It was driving the, 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 the whole attitude and opinion about because they didn't have a product you, you could put in your hand and hold at the time. So it was, it was kind of a cool study in, in, in brand branding and, brand building a brand platform and a really strong um, launch to a great startup the the first piece right of of i mean a lot of people in startups when they do consider brand that you know and and you're taught this right it's almost like a mantra which is be customer centric be customer centric be customer centric and people who've been wildly successful have been incredibly customer centric right um but before you can be authentic to your customer, you have to have a really, really clear idea of who you are, right? I mean, you have to know prior to even knowing who your customer is, you need to know exactly who you are as a brand. And then, you know, you can find that right customer and do all the right things uh, to make sure you take care of them at every step of that customer journey. But I think a lot of startups, you know, make the mistake of saying, you know, I want this customer, so who do I need to be to attract that customer, right? And that never comes off as authentic. Right. It's never an authentic move, right? And you even see it with really large companies, forget about startups, when some social movement comes along, mm-hmm. suddenly they'll try and jump onto that and say, this is who we are, but everybody knows that's not who they are, right? It, it, it's patently an authentic sort of virtue signaling. And so, I think, you know, in your example with Nest, you know why that worked for them? Because that's who they were, right? They were fun. They were cutting edge. It was interesting. um, And that resonated as part of their brand because it was authentically part of who they were. Um, And so, you know, getting back to the, the what do you have to consider first? You know, a lot of people think that you need to consider the customer first because without considering that, you don't really have a market, right? But you know, I, I would disagree. And, you know, I say this and I did learn this from you, Tom. So, but feel free to, to disagree with me too. But, but that first you need to know who are we 
And then you can figure out who does that speak to, right? Who does that, who is the customer to whom, who you are uh, resonates? You know what I mean? Exactly. And, th- and think of this, who in 2012, Internet of Things, you know, it's, it's just, it's a new, it's just, it's very new, right? Conceptually, it's new, right? Um, who better to get your message out to than a bunch of techies attending the biggest tech show in the world, consumer, you know, the CES show in Vegas. So not only did they know thyself, they knew who their customers, their potential early adopters would be. Right. right? Tech, tech, techie people. Yeah. And that's yep. hence why they put themselves squarely into that, infuse themselves into right. the, uh, you know, they crashed the party, let's say. Definitely. Right? Cause they could have gone after like home, building companies or something and try to target them. Cause the nest now that I looked it up is like the thermostat thing. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. it's like a smart, yeah. some smart exactly. home device. Right. So they could have gone like the smart home specific route, not necessarily just techie people that they know are going to like fun new gadgets. So yeah. that is actually a really interesting point and kind of leads back to like what Patrick was saying is like, know who your brand is first and foremost so that you're not trying to mold your brand around who you, who your customer is, but who you are. And then the customers will come. Yeah. And then you're all, then as Patrick said, you're, Authentic. You're authentic. Yeah. Patently. Yeah. Do you said patently? I thought it was patently, but we'll go with patently. <laughs> I don't think I know what either of those words <laughs> means. <laughs> so, yeah. And you said something to me the other day, Patrick, when we were connecting, is like trying to mold who you are around who you want to sell to from the very beginning is definitely not the route you want to go. Like, obviously, you want your business to attract your target audience, but first and foremost, know who you are, know your fundamentals, know your values and know, you know, the exact type of brand that you want to be and then stick to that before anything else. Yeah. And, you know, you, you do need both sides of the equation. That's why this isn't simple, right? Not everybody can do it well because I've been at companies and, you know, again, you talk about that experience and you learn more about failure, but where we do ourselves really well and we built stuff that we thought was amazing and we loved, we just hadn't done the work to figure out what the market size was and was there an audience that was going to love it as much as we did or was it going to be 10 people, you know? And so you do need to do both. You know, I just would posit that knowing who you are is sort of a priority, right? You need to do that first. You still need to go out and figure out, is there a market for that? And, you know, can I make a business out of this? And is there somebody who's going to want to listen to my story? Right. Exactly. Yeah, so good, good point. Mistake number one, not defining who you are. Mistake number two, not defining your audience, which ties back to the brand blueprint that you were bringing up, Patrick. Yeah. And the brand blueprint, I mean, again, this was a concept that I was introduced to. And remember, I had had an entire career where I was a marketing, you know, allegedly a marketing executive, you know, EVP of sales and marketing, but I came from the sales side and, you know, then a CEO of a company and I didn't know anything about this. And I was fortunate enough to actually, again, not to, uh, you know, uh, be overly obsequious, but, you know, I, I actually met Tom and um, Tom was the one who uh, turned me on to this, right? We, we talked about it, and um, he sort of led us through the the uh, concept of the brand blueprint, and, and right away it clicked. I said, "Well, that's that's it. That's your business architecture. That's your business framework. That's a one page 
you know, business plan with everything I need to know to make these decisions. And uh, it was very, very powerful. It was a powerful moment for me because I'd gone through an entire career until I was running companies and and not knowing about that and and not had that that penny drop, you know, that piece fall into place where I said, okay, this is the first thing I need to do. Ever since then, you know, I've built three of these now. And um, it's the first thing I do when I go in somewhere and say, if you can't articulate to me all of the things that go in this brand blueprint, then we're going to sit down and go through this workshop because um, it's that important, right? It, it, it gives you that much. It's like a, a superpower compared to the way I used to do it. Definitely. And for those listening, the brand blueprint that we're referring to is pretty much like an exercise to that result that takes a long time, but results in a one page, essentially like an architect would make a blueprint for like a building. And it's every single thing about your business, such as your, for your, you know, who are you targeting it down to like the specifics of like, how old is your target demographic? What is your target demographic interested in? Um, you know, if you, if you were a car, what would your, what kind of car would your business be? Um, and I feel like that's such an important question because you, that those are the small details of your business that you should know before you do a single piece of marketing. And I even mentioned that, like when I, you know, build social media content for brands, sometimes I'll refer back to the blueprint three months after we built it, just so I can remind myself exactly who are we talking to? Because sometimes you can get caught up in trends, marketing trends or whatever, and you get lost and you kind of lose sight of that. So re referring back to that is incredibly important anytime you're building something for marketing or sales. There's always these outliers, right? You you mentioned this target demographic. There's some, some um, you know, person that maybe commented on, on something you said. It, it could be a complete outlier, but that sticks in your mind. Maybe it it hits you emotionally, maybe in a good way or a bad way. But it's so easy to get off track in marketing. Mm -hmm. You know, in a blueprint that's, that's, you know, with the way we do it, a four by six framed, shadow boxed, it, we've really come a long way too. They're really beautiful now, Patrick. I don't, I mean, they, we put them in the shadow boxing frame and on canvas and with five set, the five sections, you know, and one of them is brand, which is, you know, in, in, in one of the questions, what, you know, if you were a car, what car would you be? So, but that just is a constant reminder. You know, if you're a sports team, you know, you, you, you leave the locker room and you high five this, you know, your tagline or your positioning statement. Have you ever seen this? These, these college, uh, uh, you know, football teams do this. They yeah. high five. They like it. slap it on the way yeah, out. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and and it's just a constant reminder because you you know we're humans. We we get we get sidetracked easily, easily, right? Mm -hmm. Especially in a startup, there's so much and, going on. Yeah, one thing I will say about that brand blueprint, and I understand that you know you guys are marketers, right? And I know that carpenters, you know, hammer sees every problem as a nail. But I I use that brand blueprint for a lot besides my marketing and. I just want to share that that's, you know, it is, it's great for looking at your marketing and your position pieces and whatever, but there's everything on there from the brand promise to your customer, to where do you want to be in three years, to who is your customer. And so when I'm doing something, even in customer service, right, we'll be making a customer service policy and I will ask people, look, you know, people ask me, um, well, what do you think about this? I'll say, look, is this in accordance with our brand blueprint? Is this in line with our brand oh, promise? I love it. I love is it, it to who we target? 
Yeah, it, this is this is not marketing, right? This right. is because marketing, remember, is you know communications, but it's also the vision piece of the business, right? Marketing doesn't just drive you know sales and marketing communications; it also drives your actual overall positioning and vision in the market. And so I, I literally use this when I'm looking at almost any initiative in the damn warehouse. Yeah. You know, is it is it in line with all of these things we've said? And if it isn't, we don't do it or we do something else. Or we say, wow, that blueprint must have drifted out of out of true, right? And so we need to maybe update it. Right. So it really is a document to me that's a touchstone for a lot more than marketing. It's a touchstone for the entire business because that's what I was saying about you you live this. It isn't, if you're going to be authentic, you live this. It isn't about, uh, do I use this for my marketing communications? It's, is this who I am actually? Right. Definitely. I feel like we'll get, and we'll get into this too with our fourth mistake, but for um, brands that maybe I feel like the blueprint could come in handy when you think about developing like a new feature for an app or a new product for a retail company. Like, is this actually going back to our original blueprint? Like, are, is this going to target our, our target audience? It does this fit in with our initial values of who we are. And like, like you said, like, does that mean that we maybe choose a different route with our direction or do we re update our blueprint, you know, um, right. kind of revisit that. Um, okay, so I am curious before we move on to number three, since we were talking about it, if you were a car, Patrick, what would you be? Wow, that's a very difficult question. And, and, why? and by the way, and why? I, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell I you will, what. I'll lead I it. Will. I'll lead it off. I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna. Yeah. I would be a Tesla Cybertruck because it's it's not yet on the market. It's ugly. <laughs> Okay. Not ugly. Well, it yeah. is, it is, it is. But you're but not ugly. But it is cutting edge <laughs> and it is forward thinking. It's off the market, just like me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I actually didn't know Your what the turn, Tesla Kate. Cybertruck looked like. I had to Google it and they are not the best looking, but they are, you know, it's kind of cool. Um, I don't know. I mean, I drive a Subaru Forester. I feel like that's very much me because I like to go camping and I, very environmentally friendly and I'm reliable. <laughs> you know, it is, um, that is so true because people do buy the, the cars that they, that, that their own personal brand really identifies with. Yeah. And you know, do you, do you like dogs? I, I do. So when I was looking yeah. for, I so like Subaru built their whole brand around dog lovers yes. and outdoors and yeah, you know, that's me. My, my, if I was a car, it would be the car I have a Subaru Forester and it would have a rooftop tent connected to it at all times. You yeah. know, the ones that you can like collapse down and like close oh, yeah. shut so you can actually like drive on the road with them. Oh, nice. And my dog would be in the back seat, and that would be it. All right, Patrick. <laughs> you okay, had so time, you had time gonna, to think. This is going to sound like I'm, I'm making this up, but you know, the first thing I said is I, I wanted to be a Tesla. And then I'm like, well, Tom stole the Tesla. And I did. I was the first, I was like, immediately in line to put my deposit down on that stupid Tesla truck, which who knows when I'm actually ever going to get one, but I do love that truck. And uh, so I said, okay, Tom took that. And I'm like, well, you know, I do love the Subaru Outback. So maybe I'm a Subaru Outback. It's like the uh, state car of Oregon. You know, everybody yeah. has one here and uh, I could be a Subaru. Like, did she really just take the Subaru? Really? <laughs> um, so now I feel like I've got to, you know, because I, I, I can't, yeah, what he said, you know, I mean, that's not going to gonna make it. But I'll tell you what, what uh, vehicle I do admire, though. And I'll tell you, it, which I know it's, it's the Honda CRV. And I'll tell you why. 
because a Honda CRV, if you see it, is incredibly reliable and it has all the technology that you could possibly want. They've actually loaded those things up, right? They've got incredible sensors and all kinds of technology, but it's absolutely unassuming. Like, you know, you would yeah. never look at one twice on the road, right? Right. And so I, I really like the way they've positioned them because it's a car that's sort of got everything, but is not, it doesn't look like it's trying too hard, you know? Definitely. So, it's like so fancy this, on the inside, but just like very approachable on the outside. So, so this, right. is, this is perfect. Patrick and I are, are great friends. Okay. So Patrick is, is ultimately reliable. He's like the most reliable guy. He's unassuming, right? He doesn't, he doesn't try too hard because he doesn't have to. Right. He's very technology, extremely technology savvy, right? Yeah. He's, he's led tech companies. So, and great, I mean, CRV, Honda CRV. It, CRV is a good car. Patrick. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. We had a CRV growing up. It was a good car. <laughs> now, one thing I will say that I think is interesting about that exercise, and, you know, it is, it's interesting to think about who you might be and, and how that means, but I've done this workshop three times, and every time the company has picked a different car, and every time the company was fundamentally different in their literal sort of DNA. And and they've never picked the same car. No company's ever picked the same car. That's so interesting. That is interesting. And you know, I think the the, the, the strongest argument for Patrick being a Honda CRV is he really, I mean, they, they are versatile and, and yeah. multi, you know, they just are good at everything. Definitely. And and that, and Patrick, I think that defines defines you. You're like you're like this, the Swiss army knife of all around of, of badass. leadership, all, all around badass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So let's lead into number three, the number three mistake. And before I say the mistake, I'm going to say when Patrick and I were talking the other day, he said um, that one of the issues, one of the problems with startups and their marketing is, and you have an example of a company that you worked for is that you guys, you said we were doing so many great things, but never figured out who we were doing it for. And that really resonated with me. Cause I was like, wow, like you can do so much as a startup, like really cool, super cutting edge. There's no way no one's not going to like this kind of stuff and then not realize who you're doing it for. So if you have figured out who you are and then you figured out your brand and your, with your blueprint, and then what do you do next? You have to apply your tactics with a strategy. You know, strategy without tactics is the slowest way to victory, but tactics without strategy is just the noise before defeat. And that's really true, right? Like if, if you are building and you know, I think I use the example of Brightware where I worked and I loved that company. I mean, they were the smartest people. We, we had nothing, but we had PhDs in AI, PhDs in math. We'd hired all of NASA's advanced uh, AI division. It was incredible, right? And you know, we loved each other. We loved what we were doing. We were building the coolest stuff you could think of. We were creating new categories. Um, what we didn't really consider is who would buy it. And, you know, we got to the end and found out that there were only a few really big companies that could even imagine affording and implementing it. And that just wasn't enough to keep us in business. And, you know, meanwhile, one of our competitors who we had mocked mercilessly because their technology was incredibly simple. It didn't have AI. I mean, AI is everything these days, but this was a while ago, right? And we were the world leader in AI. That was our tagline. It was true. 
-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, our, you know, product was incredibly difficult to implement and to maintain and did amazing things. But like I said, there was a market size of about five in the Bay Area, Wells Fargo, you know. Meanwhile, our competitor built this for the call center. It was a company called Kana and went out, went public, had a $6 billion valuation on like a couple million in revenue and was off to the races ahead of us. And because and they knew that they could go sell a ton of these uh, just as they were, as simple as they were to, uh, you know, real people. And we were flabbergasted by that because, you know, that's a company we used to mock because of their technology who was now just, it just kicked our asses and all got rich. Right. <laughs> and so um, it was a, it was a very painful uh, lesson. And I didn't even really understand why until I started learning about brand. Right. It took me that long, even after that to learn the lesson. There is a lesson there too. You know, when you make things so complex, it's not only is it, um, you know, from a marketing standpoint, it's, it's hard to message that. Yeah, no, that's correct. And the thing is, we had come from the AI consulting. And so we'd won 50 innovative applications of artificial intelligence awards, which was seven times more than the nearest company, which was IBM. So, I mean, we, we definitely had, that's what I'm saying. We were, we we're building these products for ourselves is the thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> we we're building them because we thought they were amazing. And so you do know that who was you a, were doing it for. It was you. <laughs> yeah, it turned, that turns out to be a really losing strategy. It's a lot of fun while you have money. Right. Um, but it's a really terrible strategy. And, you know, I had to learn that lesson, which it still took me a while to learn why. It's really common, though, in, in startups, in in. in marketing you know it is it is so common we see that so often it's another version of the build it and they will come right all right and then now our fourth and final common marketing mistakes that startups make is not maintaining focus so tell us a little bit about this one patrick well you know again this is something i learned late um as well but that you know the uh Okay, Tom, tell me if I get this right. If I get it wrong, <laughs> but the power of your brand is inversely proportional to the scope of your brand. Correct. So the. Wow. Is that a quote from Adapt or Die? Oh my gosh. Well, I, I think it's a quote from before Adapt or Die was even imagined, but. Yeah, that certainly... comes from um, the, the 22 immutable laws of, of branding. Oh, right. Those, (laughs) right. (laughs) Those all things. (laughs) Al Reese and and uh, his wife. uh, No, it's a it's a fantastic book. But no, you, yeah, you you nailed it, Patrick. How many companies want to leverage this great brand by adding more and more to the? It's really a burden, right? It's 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 really a burden on that brand. You need to be able to maintain that focus on who you are and and why people care. I mean, the other great example, uh, Tom, I think is the Lifesavers example, right? And that's a, yes. a classic, classic example of a unbelievably powerful brand that just about did itself in, right? Lifesavers were like the leader yeah. in hard candies. And then they put out gum gummies and, and people were like, what? what? No. What? Gummies, gum. I mean, they, they were all over the place, right? And by the time they refocused by the time all of those failed miserably and they refocused they'd lost their leadership position forever basically in hard candy well the, the interesting thing about uh, uh, they they failed 
in so many ways, you know, just, just common sense uh, type of failures. Because if you're, if you're called lifesaver, right, and you have a hard candy that's in a roll and you take one out and it's a hole in the middle and it looks like, what does it look like? A lifesaver. A lifesaver, mm-hmm. right? So you're going to put out lifesaver gum. Wouldn't you put out something that looks like a lifesaver? But no, these were just <laughs> sticks of gum, just regular old <laughs> sticks of gum, right? Yeah. What a... Well, but, but- but that's clearly losing focus, right? You know what I mean? It's, Definitely, you know. yeah. And you were even saying, Patrick, like there's so many startups where it's like before they've even launched the initial product or offering or service, they've already like started to think about all the other things that they could do. And it's like, be come in and like dominate an industry in a specific thing and like just stick to that for as long as you can. And of course there's are examples of people that branch out and do other things and they're very successful. But I feel like if you have to really have like a very strong foundation, like you could just be so much more successful if you were, if you just kind of stuck to your initial offering and what people expect from you and rely on you for and trust you for. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Tom and Kate, for having me on. I mean, this has been a blast, Tom. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And Kate, it's been great getting to know you. And I really appreciate you having me. I know. Yes, likewise. <laughs> so tell before we we end, I would love to just kind of let our listeners know, like, what are you working on right now? What's what's sort of what's your biggest, you know, project that you're tackling at this time? And then maybe in a few months, we can follow up with you and see how it's going. Oh, yeah. gosh, I, I'm working at a great company um, that uh, for many reasons was super appealing to me. It's a company, it's called Good Life Inc. And it's in Southern Oregon. I'm a native Oregonian. Um, And, you know, there's not a lot of industry. It's a state without a lot of industry that isn't forestry, right? So this was a company that, you know, produces jobs in Oregon. So that was super appealing to me. And they'd done this amazing job for 15 years, just scrappy, you know, started in somebody's apartment, you know what I mean? And growing to a place um, where exactly that, nobody had considered these questions of what is our brand? Who are we? You know, how do we keep this all together? How do we focus this so that we can really grow and scale? And so, um, you know, they kindly asked me to to help out with that. And um, I've been here doing, you know, that work and and particularly focusing on brand and um, uh, separating out the, the different you know, business units and brands and uh, specifically doing something, which again, in, until Tom introduced it, me to it, I didn't even, I wouldn't have known how to do this, honestly. We're going to expect great things from uh, Good Life. I'm sure you've got them or getting them on the right track and um, for growth. And and um, yeah, I, I'm going to keep my eye on that uh, for sure, Patrick. And and uh, it's been great having you. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Patrick, for joining us. Um, we hope that you are able to uh, learn from some of these mistakes and hopefully apply some of these tactics to your startup um, and see some great success. So thank you all for listening and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Adapt and Thrive, a survival guide for the modern marketer. If you liked what you've heard, subscribe and drop a comment on what topics you'd like to hear in future episodes. Good luck out there, marketers. Until next time.